This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today, Wednesday being Mailbag Wednesday, we're going to let you, the fan, dictate where this show goes. And before we do that, I want to remind people out there, you can join DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month. After that, it goes up to $9.95. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all content across the 24-7 sports network, exclusive recruiting coverage. And then when you start paying your full price of $9.95 per month, or if you go with the annual membership, you get CBS All Access for free. That's 10,000 shows, live sports, movies, all on demand commercial free with your membership to duckterritory.com. So jump in on that now. All right. Mailbag Wednesday. We've got a wide ranging of topics, Eric. I looked over these questions and there's a little bit of everything here. Yeah, it's perfect. And it should be that way this time of year. Cause as we've said on Monday's show, and as you saw, because Monday's show was a special one hour podcast, there's just a ton going on right now. And yeah, this kind of runs the gamut. So first question here uh, is, is I think on, Pressing on everyone's minds, but maybe everyone doesn't want to talk about it. So we're going to at least address this for a moment here. But uh, from at Lamp Feather, which is, by the way, what a, what a Twitter handle. Um, there aren't going to be any NCAA basketball tournaments, are there? Um, <laughs> the coronavirus is a very real thing. And there have been a lot of and there's been a lot of action right now over the last few days over in terms of we're seeing conference tournaments canceled. We're seeing conference tournaments being uh, scheduled to be played in front of nobody. <laughs> we're seeing locker room access changing. Matt, I know down at the Pac-12 tournament where he's he's just kind of arriving and getting settled in. As there there are, uh, I guess, measures in place from the Pac-12 to to try to make this go as smoothly as possible and to try to minimize any potential or I should say eliminate any potential spread of this virus. Um, I think they're going to end up playing the NCAA tournament. I, I don't think I'm concerned about that, but I do think that there is a real concern about whether there are going to be any fans in the building or, or limiting fans. And, um, I, you know, of course, we're, we're jumping ahead here, and, and maybe maybe this won't be as significant, but based upon everything I've seen, I think there's real room to be concerned. And I think especially for the women on the women's side, if you're looking, if you're looking at this from an Oregon-centric perspective um, and the way the fan base has shown they'll travel, uh, it, it could potentially really deter the fan base's ability to support this program, maybe not only uh, in New Orleans for a potential Final Four run, but maybe even in Portland. If you know, and that sounds silly because proximity-wise, you've got so many fans there. But I think there's a real chance that they're going to maybe limit the number of fans, or, or maybe cut, you know, cut eliminate all fans altogether from from watching. I don't know, Matt. What, what's your concern level? And I should say you're down in Las Vegas right now. You're you're, you're, you're going to be a part of one of these ter- tournaments. What's your concern level being down there? Yeah, it's different. I can tell you that. Um, and I don't want to do too much of fear mongering with this because that's the worst thing we could do is speculate on stuff. But, uh, the, the reality is, is that the airports are, they're, they're less frequented by travelers. The hotels here in Las Vegas, I mean, I, I walk just, I'm staying in New York, New York and this hotel, is feels less crowded now it is 
I did arrive on a Tuesday night, and I did, uh, and I am down here on a Wednesday morning. So we'll see what happens maybe on Thursday or Friday when you know weekends are here, the big games are here. Uh, but for now, it, it does seem a little light in terms of crowd. Um, from an from a perspective of the conference, they have decided they're going to continue to allow fans to move on. They've changed the media access instead of post game. What's what's so great about covering a tournament in the Pac-12 or an NCAA tournament is the access that you get as a media member. Because post game, you go to the lock. You know, for a regular game, you go to the media room, and Dana Altman and two players come up, and sometimes it's not even a player. Sometimes it's it's just Dana Altman. And we'll, we'll talk with them for five or 10, 15 minutes each. And, and then we'll go on our way. And, but for a tournament setting, those same interviews happen. And then at the same time, and, and for a little bit later on, the entire Oregon roster and for every team is available inside their locker room. You're, you're able to go in after a cooling down period and really get some, you know, one on one time with, mm-hmm. with guys that maybe you haven't spoken a ton with this season or at all. And you get to talk to the assistant coaches and the trainers and you, you get a, a, an opportunity to really learn about these guys and tell some stories about these guys. And that has been removed because granted, yes, I understand what they did it. The, the rooms are small. There's going to be a lot of people in there. We're all going to be jammed up against really one another. And this is a move that is stemmed from, I believe the NHL was the first ones to do it. They, they shut down. Uh, locker room access, the NBA, the Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, they've all kind of followed suit, and now it's it's hitting the college ranks where uh, I, I, the games are still going to be played, but the access to the games for the fans and for the media at various levels are being restricted. And it, it, honestly, I got, it, it sucks. It, it's not good for my job. It, it, it is what it is, but – uh, I understand why they're doing it, and I'm not really gonna, you know, throw much of a, of a hissy fit over it because the reality is, it's they're trying to prevent a disease from spreading that could be very dangerous. Yeah, no easy answers on that one. Um, I no, think it's it, not. It's, no it's, easy it's, 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 it's super complicated, and it's honestly, it's stuff that's way above our pay grade in terms of understanding how some of the stuff is going to work out. Um, but I think for everyone who's listening. Uh, just, just be careful. Uh, maybe limit interaction. Wash your hands. Uh, uh, this could be something that you know I've been reading reports. This is something that will probably linger for quite some time. So everybody needs to just be careful with this stuff right now. I think there's no known cases at the University of Oregon at the moment. Um, you know we're seeing those cases throughout the United States. But uh, good news there. I, I don't know if that's going to be something that lasts forever. But hey, if, if if there's no you know known cases at Oregon, that that'll probably be a positive things in terms of. Oregon uh, hosting uh, their NCAA women's basketball tournament next week, um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in Washington and in from the men's perspective because Seattle is the ground zero of this, and Spokane, while granted it's what 400, 500 miles away from from Spokane or right. from Seattle, it, it's still in the same state. And like you said, for the women's side, the regional up in Portland is just a couple hundred miles away from, from Seattle. And then in Sacramento, the there's cases that are happening now with the coronavirus in San Jose. And so it, it, it feels like you're on these edges where it could go yeah. either way. And I, I don't know if the tournament – I'm not going to come out here and say the tournament's going to go on, but 
it, it feels like there could be some modifications that happen um, down the road. I think, I think that's a fair assumption to at least be prepared for. Not maybe expect, but be prepared that some modifications to the tournament could happen. And, and, and it, it could be as simple as, hey, you know, we're going to limit to 10,000 people per game or we're going to limit, uh, you know, they're going to come up with some kind of barrier between the fans and the players distance-wise. Uh, or it could be just no fans at all. Um, it, or they could move the tournament site somewhere else. I know the NBA is talking about playing games where there's no coronavirus uh, re- reported in those areas. So I, I think it's just best to understand that, hey, this could impact how things are played out. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think we're going to learn a lot more about this stuff over the next week or so. Certainly once we get to the selection shows for the men and women on Sunday and Monday, we'll have some, I think the NCAA, hopefully we'll have some better uh, indications of how they're going to proceed with this. But there are certainly, I think we can safely say this will be an NCAA tournament that probably will be much different than previous tournaments um, from both a media coverage perspective, but but also from a fan perspective. I think that some things are going to have to change, at least at some of these sites. And that's something to kind of keep track of. And we certainly will be doing that. All right, second question from Big Love Kevin. And Kevin here really went, ran the gamut here. He, he threw three questions at us. Because of time constraints, we're going to only take one of those questions. But uh, thanks, Kevin, for dropping in here. First question, how do you guys feel Junior Day went with the 2021 class? We did a little bit of a recap over the weekend, um, Matt. But big takeaways, I know a lot of big-time recruits were here. Um, most of the top guys out west were uh, in Eugene over the weekend, or at least a lot of them. Many big takeaways from what you've seen. Yeah, you know, there were a couple five-star guys here on campus for visits, most notably the number one receiver in the country, Emeka Obuka, uh, a guy out of Steelacom High School that's in the Tacoma, Washington area, Pierce County area. Uh, he was here for an unofficial visit and – Basically loved it, and this wasn't his first time on campus, and Oregon made a really strong impression, even though at the time they don't have a receivers coach uh, working the offense. And, you know, I do know talking with recruits, talking with people that Joe Moorhead, Mario Cristobal were heavily involved in explaining the process. They feel very confident that they're going to get a really good coach. The recruits have kind of communicated that back to us. You know, Kevin spoke to Mecca um I, I I've heard some things that you know he was very impressed and was totally okay with the receiver position, even though right now it doesn't have a coach. Uh, Oregon's sold him kind of on a vision, but there's going to be a lot of players for a guy like him. Ohio State's probably the leader in the clubhouse right now. Uh, Washington's going to be a, a player here, and you know there's going to be a couple other schools, but there there were no commitments, and I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. I I, I think this was all about setting the table for a commitment. From some guy, not necessarily maybe a Mecca, but just prospects that were on campus before that are coming back for the spring game or coming back for an official visit in May or in June and locking in those commitments at that time. This was all setting the table. This was, uh, Oregon does things in a very, very unique, very real, very effective way in that they devote a lot of time to get guys on the campus multiple times and Usually commitments don't happen the first or second time that they're here. Sometimes it does, but normally it doesn't. It happens the third and the fourth time, and and we're starting to get to that cycle now where guys are coming in for official visits or unofficial visits for the third, fourth, fifth time, and that's where I think we're going to start seeing some commitments that are going to that are going to play out over the next six to eight weeks that started because of their time in Eugene for uh, Junior Day. 
Third question from at Johnny the K. What are the most important skills Cristobal is looking for in the new wide receivers coach? Um, a couple questions that were related to this. I'm also going to tie in another question we had here um, just from at Quack Attack 74. Who are some potential candidates for the vacant wide receiver coach job? He also used the hashtag Austin Audible's a- alias. So bonus points for Quack, Quack Attack 74. Um, I, I think this, this is a, a question that probably does deserve some, some time because Oregon doesn't have a wide receivers coach right now. They've got a grad assistant in Jonathan Krause running that group, and that's different. Um, I think first in terms of the skills that they're going to look for, uh, I, I think a recruiter is, is like maybe the number one thing they're looking for or one of the high priority points is finding somebody that's going to really grind on the recruiting trail. And we, we spoke a little bit on Monday uh, about maybe Bo Knight's, I don't want to say failures as a recruiter, but his lack of success, at least in terms of adding more than one signee at the wide receiver position last cycle. Um, I'm sure with the number of, and you just ran through a couple of those top tier wide receiver recruits in 2021, with those guys out there and the clear need to, to get a couple of them, uh, I, I think that's going to be something that's important is, is someone who's a, a top tier recruiter. Matt, a couple of other things you think are important in terms of skill sets that Cristobal would look for? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't hammer home the, the importance of being able to recruit because as crazy as it sounds, Oregon had Justin Herbert for the last three seasons and quite honestly kind of failed to go out and sign some of these top-end receivers. Now, they've gotten some solid players, uh, Chris Hudson being the most recent one from the 2020 recruiting class. In 2019, they, they got Micah Pittman uh, in 2018. They went out and, excuse me, before the 2019 football season, they were able to to add Brian Addison. Uh, but none of these, they've got the transfer from Devin Williams, but none of these guys have stepped onto the field day one and have arguably been the best receiver. Now, you could maybe argue Micah Pittman was that guy, but, but then he got hurt right. during fall camp, and that kind of derailed things. And, and maybe that's a little unfair for him, but the reality is Oregon had this, First round draft pick quarterback, guy that's going to be in contention for the first pick in the draft or top three picks in the draft, excuse me, and could not really generate a ton of high profile, you know, the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four receiver in the country, the number five receiver in the country to come to Oregon when, when they could sell the fact that, Hey, you could play with this guy for two years or you could play with this guy for three years. Uh, that never happened. And I, and, it, and it's not just Joe Von Boat Knight. It, it was Michael Johnson before that. Uh, and so Oregon has to find somebody that can capitalize on the recruiting trail because there is a lot of talent out West. I mean, yep. we've already talked about Becca, but we, we know of Troy Franklin, a, a, a four star caliber guy that, that's going to be in contention probably to, to be a, a five star composite guy. I mean, it's not out of the question that he reaches there. Deontay Thornton is from the East Coast, but he's high on Oregon as well. And you, you've got the list goes on and on. I mean, they've, they've got a commitment from Keon Ware Hudson, the younger brother of Kyron, uh, and, and they've, they're going to have players that are looking at Oregon hard that are big time playmakers that are big time recruits and Oregon has to be able to capitalize on this because this is what will take Oregon to the another le- you know another level offensively I think go back and watch Clemson LSU yeah. Ohio State Alabama the, watch these teams that have played in the playoffs and 
their receivers are different than what Oregon has. And I'm not trying to knock on Johnny Johnson because he is a legit receiver. He is a clear cut number one, but he is not the six foot three, the six foot four guy that, that runs uh, a four five forty and is 225 pounds and is just impossible to guard, whether it's in a man on man situation, a deep threat, a short game, whatever. He's not that guy. He's worked his way. He's, he's created his, himself to get to that level. He's not a physical specimen that those players are. And that's what's going to take Oregon to another level. So as crazy as it sounds, I, I kind of think recruiting is the number one thing that they have to be able to hammer home at this position because you've got to be able to bring in the top talent. You can be a great evaluator. You can be a, a great, a great developer. But if you're turning three star guys into starters, eventually they're going to max out. And there's a reason why these teams that always have the top recruiting classes in the country are always in the playoff because they have good coaches that can recruit. And on top of that, they, they are also able to develop those really good players into even better players. And, and their ceilings are much more higher than the three star guy in most cases. And, and so I, I think most importantly, you've got to find a guy that can, that can develop. But more importantly, you can also, you also need to be able to bring in a guy that's going to give you the top end talent. Yeah. And I, I think really quick, this is going to be a small tangent, but you brought up a good point of, of the Clemson and LSU and Alabama's and the wide receiver talent they have. They, they had a stat on social media a couple of days ago comparing Justin Herbert's numbers to uh, Joe Burrows and Tua Tagovailoa, uh, And I was looking at it going like, this is this is forgetting one of the most important parts here that those two quarterbacks had like three to four NFL caliber receivers they were throwing the ball to every down. Justin Herbert had I don't know I don't know if he had one last year really. I mean I think Johnny Johnson will make a career. I don't I don't know what his ceiling is, but they don't have a single guy who who was you know capable uh, of going as highly in the draft as probably the top three receivers at each of those schools. So um, you're, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that point of. That that has to be player acquisition has to be at the very forefront of this hire, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how this comes together. I, I do think and we made this prediction earlier in the week. I do think you're going to see them make a hire by the time they reconvene for the second portion of spring on on March 31st. I, I would just, I would bet on that. I don't know that to be 100% certain. I don't think anyone can say that, but I, I I'm guessing that's where it's going to be headed. I would agree with you right there. I, I think that's where we'll we'll see something happen. Relatively, not I don't, quickly isn't maybe the best word, but in the next two or three weeks, it would not surprise me if if there's been a coaching hire. All right, fourth question from at Paradise nine one nine four zero zero. In light of his short season due to qualification delays and injuries, is Enfali Dante still projected as a one and done candidate? Um, I think that's a that's a good question. There, um, we talked earlier this week about how he performed better of late, but. I, I don't see him being somebody that would be drafted maybe even in the first round. Maybe he'd get back into the first round base purely on upside and potential, but I, I don't see how he's – I mean, like, let's put it this way. Like, who do you think's a better prospect, him or Bull Bull? Um, and we saw what happened with Bull Bull and Lewis King and Kenny Wooten last year in terms of their draft stock. Um, I, I, I think Dante is somebody that needs another year. Do you agree with that, Matt? I think he needs another year, yes. Will that mean he comes back to school? I don't know. I mean, what happens if this guy shows up and, look, he looked really good against Stanford. What happens in the Pac-12 tournament if he puts together three games where he plays 60 minutes and over those 60 combined minutes he finishes with 45 points and 30 rebounds 
and, you know, four or five blocks. I mean, those are astronomically high numbers compared to what he's previously done, but he's starting to round into form. But, and if he plays to that caliber and then does well in the NCAA tournament, you know, it's going to be hard. You know, some scouts going to come and look at him and say like, whoa, six foot 11 guy. He can move. He can defend. He can pass out of the post. He has his ability to score and, and through contact, you know, he got worse. We get a two way contract in today's day and age. The two way contract is highly more valuable than it was four or five years ago as a G league guy. So I, I think there's always going to be that option that he goes. I would expect that he comes back for his sophomore season. Um, I, I, that's where I would lean. But in today's day and age of college basketball with, you know, we don't know what his family situation is like. Maybe $150,000 is life changing money for, for his family and for him. Maybe, maybe 75,000 is. It, maybe it's not. And he has the ability to come back and th- there isn't a, that immediate need for him to go and, and just get the first chance at money. Uh, m- maybe he doesn't like school and would just rather, uh, you know, work out and train. Maybe that's a, a case for him or maybe he loves school and, and wants to come back and, even though it makes sense for him to leave. Uh, I think he comes back, but in today's day and age of college basketball, of going pro and whatnot, when you're six foot 11, you're the MVP of the EYBL, Peach Jam, which is the top tournament for the summer, uh, and you have the physical traits that he has, I think there's always going to be that option, that possibility that he goes. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. We're reading your questions that you guys have submitted across the platforms uh, for our mailbag. Four in, four more to go. Yeah, I really like this fifth question here from at KMure101. It's a thought I hadn't really considered, but I think it's something we should talk about. Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullen's stock has probably never been higher. The Pac-12 doesn't renew Larry Scott's contract, which he writes in parentheses, they shouldn't. <laughs> did you think, not much disagreement here, by the way, uh, but do you think Rob Mullen should be a candidate to replace him and be a stabilizing force for the conference um, that it desperately needs? Uh, again, I like that question a lot. Yeah, I, I, no, it's an interesting one. I had, again, I hadn't really 
really consider this much prior to, to thinking about this this morning. Um, well, Rob, I mean, every sport Oregon is yeah. participating in basically successful. And he's I done a really good look at it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he maybe hasn't made all the hires for these guys, but he's made a majority of them. I think he's hired every single one, but maybe Dan Altman. Um, I, I, I would, I would be intrigued by that if I was a conference, if I was the Pac-12 conference. I mean, he, he certainly runs a program that makes money. Uh, he's forward thinking. He's pro student athlete. So I think the athletes would be okay with him. Um, now, what, what, what can he do? I mean, he's very, he's very, very good with money and stretching your dollar as far as you can and getting the maximum value of your return on investment and what you're you're doing whether it's facilities or you know having some kind of service for the student athletes from a food wise standpoint or, or medical standpoint what have you uh it makes a lot of sense and it would be one that would be maybe a little outside the box but at the same time if he has those aspirations sure um my question then would become a does he want to you know go up that high uh, and and b does going from Eugene to the Bay Area and the lifestyle that that change brings changes his view uh, of, of the position, maybe. I mean, it's, it's not cheap to live in, no. in the Bay Area, and it, it's considerably cheaper to live in Eugene. And he's got young kids, and he's, you know, making – has a very good lifestyle here in Eugene, running a, a, you know, one of the most successful collegiate brands in – all of the sport in all of the countries. So, uh, I think that's an interesting name. Um, it makes some sense. Wouldn't surprise me if he comes up as a candidate. No, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. I, I also think my question would be, how would the other Pac-12 school, you know, presidents and, and the people in those decision-making processes, how would they receive a sure. athletic director from one of the current school, you know, conference members? being promoted to that position? Would they be concerned about a conflict of interest there? Would they, I, I do think that would be something that would, would be interesting to see what kind of support he would actually be able to render. But I think for the reasons you said, and that's why I was kind of pausing thinking about it, going like it would make a lot of sense from like, if, if you could just be objective about what he's accomplished. And he's one of the hottest names probably in the country in terms of an athletic director. I think that, you know, good question, good point. Hey, that am okay. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get some looks, and yeah, maybe, maybe this is the the right thing for him long term. It's also you have to be honest that the being an athletic director for a school and being the commissioner of a conference is are two different things. They're two different jobs, and there would be a lot of things he would be uh, challenged by or, or, or things he just doesn't have experience doing. But at the same time, Larry Scott came over without having been a major conference commissioner before, and and maybe that's a bad example because people listening are probably going like, yeah, but he's been really bad at his job. So, so maybe they don't want an outsider, but, um, I, I do think it's, it's a really interesting question. And I think we are going to be, it might be something we're faced with in the not too, too distant future here of they're going to be looking to replace Larry, Larry Scott, which I, I think they probably should based upon everything you read about the conference and the direction and just kind of not, not to go too far down this, but just being around him. I don't think he's somebody that really ingratiates himself to a lot of people. Um, I, I think that would be an interesting thing that we're going to have to maybe talk about in the next year or two, um, depending upon how things play out. Yeah, I just I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of Scott's issues, but just to put it into context, in today's week, you know, Pac-12 tournament is playing in Las Vegas, and 
the only opportunity anyone has if you don't have the Pac-12 network to see anyone play is to watch an 8.30 local time tip of the number three seed taking on the six seed today. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's Terrible. the only game you're going to get. That's the only game you're going to get. It's going to be at 8.30 or local time, so it's going to be 11.30 p.m. East Coast time, 10.30 p.m. Central time. And then if, you know, if if the, the three-team advances, which I believe is uh, Arizona State, they play again. That's the only game that's on Thursday. So the Pac-12's champion, Oregon, they're on the Pac-12 network. The second-place team, UCLA, they're on the Pac-12 network. The third-place team, or the fourth-place team, USC, they are on the Pac-12 network, which could potentially be USC versus Arizona, maybe the best game of the entire tournament, and no one's going to get to watch it. So that, that that's just one example of, of the many reasons out there that the conference is broke right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's not ideal. <laughs> All right, sixth question from at Rye underscore Samu. What do you feel is the most imp- impressive aspect or stat from both the men's and women's teams' basketball seasons? I've got a couple of things on the women's side that we'll start with, and then I'll toss it over to you, Matt. Um, I, I think something that I don't think gets overlooked, but I think it's important to, to, to understand and appreciate the defensive improvements this year. Um Nobody is going to confuse this team for like a defensive stalwart. Like they're, they're they're still better offensively than they are defensively. But this is a program that last year was 135th nationally in scoring defense, and some of that is skewed because they score so darn much. But that's not a very impressive stat for a team trying to win a national championship. They allowed 63 points per game a year ago. They've cut that number down about five. They've over five full points. They're now opponents are now averaging 57.9 points per game and. I think you could make a pretty strong argument that they've played a stiffer competition, especially offensively, this year than they did a year ago. Um, and that number ranks 42nd nationally. So you're going from being a top, well, barely a top 150 defense to being a top 50 defense over the course of one season. And that's really impressive. And you can, I think, give Minyan Moore a lot of credit for that. You can give probably just all the veteran players understanding that they need to be better on that side of the court a lot of credit for that, but it has been a noticeable improvement, and maybe it gets overlooked a little bit because you're watching these games going, man, they're still scoring. They're leading the nation in scoring. I mean, they average 86 points per game, um, and they averaged 85 points per game last year, and that was second nationally. So they, they're kind of offensively, they're similar to where they were, but I think that defensive thing gets overlooked a little bit sometimes, and you know, if there's a reason why this year's team can, can make a deeper run or finish this thing off with a championship like I think we all expect it to be, um, the improvements on defense are going to be a big part of that. From the men's perspective, I, I we've made a big deal about how they don't have a consistent inside scorer, and that's going to be important. That's going to be something that they need to you know smooth out here before tournament time. And I don't know if they ever will, but something that I've really been impressed with all all year is one they have the still they have the sixth best offense from a efficiency standpoint in the country, not the Pac-12, in the country. And, and yes, their defense maybe is not on par for what it was the past previous three or four seasons, but they have by far the best offense that they have had in since the 2017 season when they made the Final Four and they were 17th in the country. And then in 2016, they were 13th in the country uh, and they made the Elite Eight that season. So they are playing at a clip they've never played before, and one of those reasons why is they are one of the best 
three-point shooting teams in the country. They're actually, from a three-point percentage, they're second in the country at 39.6%. That's the highest that they have shot in my recollection of Dana Altman basketball. Um, the Final Four team was 47th in the country at 38%. You know, they, they didn't make a ton of threes uh, in 2016. In, in 2015, they were middle of the road again. And, and you know, 2014, they, they made, they were 22nd in the country. So, you know, they're obliterating their shooting numbers from all of their best seasons. And from a conference standpoint, they have three of the four best three-point shooters on their team. And it's, it's Will Richardson who leads the conference over 41%. Anthony Mathis is over 40%. And then Peyton Pritchard, uh, is fourth in the conference. I think at like 38%, uh, on the, on the, on the year. They are an incredibly good three-point shooting team. And look, the tournament, it's all about if you get hot. And if, if this team comes out and is making their shots, they're, they're a jump shooting team. And if they are making their baskets, it's going to be incredibly difficult to beat them. And I know how idiotic that statement sounds, but <laughs> because it's so simple, but at the same time, like when jump shooting teams are on fire, they are almost impossible to beat because you have to stretch your defense so far out to, to guard these guys. And that opens driving lanes that allows offensive rebounds. And that allows guys who maybe aren't dominant as a low block post player to become dominant because teams can't double him. They can't crowd the paint. They can't have bodies near them, and it's one-on-one situations. And that's where a guy like Shakur Justin, who's athletic and quick, can maybe play a better game than he would when teams have, have sagged into the paint and are daring Oregon to shoot. And, and so I, I really think if this team comes in and, and plays like they did the last three games of the regular season in Vegas, they're going to win Vegas. And if they do it again in the tournament, they're going to have a real possible chance of getting to the Final Four. Let me play devil's advocate with you really quickly. Uh, and, and this was something I know people have talked about a lot when you get into postseason basketball. And I remember when the Golden State Warriors were first coming on the scene in the NBA and they were very reliant on a three-point shot. Everybody was like, well, it won't work in the postseason. Do, do you have concerns about being oh, a three-point reliant team? Oh. I mean, is that something that concerns you, though, in the tournament? 100%. Because what happens when your legs get tired? Your right. shot gets And that's going to happen. Um, you know, especially here in Vegas, three, three games and three nights is what we required of them to win the game. Um, and, you know, Dana Altman has talked about, you know, sometimes every year we, they have games in which they play really sluggish and it's a grind out type performance. And that's not the recipe that you want for a team who is a jump shooting team. I, I, I think you would be okay if the pace was up and down and you just were missing shots. But you had lots of possessions and lots of opportunities. You know, yeah, that would make sense. But when you're grinding it out and the possessions are going along both ways, you still can't score. That's the worst recipe for for a jump shooting team. Uh, and and then what happen? You know, what happens if Peyton Pritchard has an off night? I mean, he hasn't had one in a really long time. And eventually, one's going to come. It might be here in Vegas. It might be in the tournament. Will Oregon have the guys to be able to to carry the team to make up for what Pritchard has done of of carrying them for so long when he has a bad game? Because it's going to come. There's going to be a game where he's not going to play well. Well, you just transitioned subtly into our final question, and it's kind of a fun. It's a funny question, but I think it gives us another opportunity to talk more about how great 
a couple of these Oregon basketball players from at Eric sixteen oh six three four. Is this your burner account? What's that? Is this my burner? No, it's 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 spelled differently, Matt. We've been over this. This is an Eric who spells it the wrong way with a C instead of a K. He's he's mis he's unfortunately misinformed on how he's supposed to spell his name, but it's okay. There's time for improvement. Other Eric. Um, should we be concerned about Sabrina or Peyton injuring their backs while carrying home all of the awards they are going to earn this past week and going forward? Um, it's obviously a facetious question, but again, I think an opportunity to just appreciate what both of these players have done. Um, both players, Pac-12 players um, of the year, and very, very deservingly so. Um, I think we were recording last podcast just before Pritchard was officially named Pac-12 Player of the Year. We, we both knew it was coming. Everybody knew it was coming, but yeah, he officially won that award. Um, he's also, I think, since won, I think, a district or a, a regional player of the year. Um, like you'd have to inform me on the specifics of what district it is because there's I see a lot, a lot of different awards coming through for these two players. And it's hard to keep it all, uh, you know, kind of in line. But yeah, and Sabrina's going to win. I, I think undoubtedly national player of the year. I think Peyton will be a first team All American. I think there's an outside shot he could win one of those national player. There, there's a bunch of them. Maybe there's going to be a, a group of voters that really like what he's done and, and he wins one of those. But I, I don't necessarily think he's going to win. He's not going to be unanimous like Sabrina will be in terms of National Player of the Year, um, but it does. It, it's just a good reminder once again from from the other Eric of what a special year it's been. Not just because these programs are, are winning so many games, but also because you're watching greatness at you know from two of the program's best all time, Sabrina and Peyton, and those two will go down that way. And it's pretty cool that this is happening all at the same time. Yeah, I think Peyton cemented himself as the team's best point guard in program history. I'm going to call Ron Lee a shooting guard. That may be blasphemous. I, I can't quite remember uh, if he was a pure point guard or not, or if he was more like a shooting guard. But I'm going to be, say to be fair, you were a negative 15 years old when he was, when he played at Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will say Peyton Pritchard is the best point guard to roll through Oregon all time. Uh, from the men's side, Sabrina is the best player to, to roll through women's athletics at Oregon all time. And quite honestly, you could probably convince me she probably is the best athlete to ever roll through Oregon, regardless, uh, man or woman, uh, which is based off what she's accomplished and what she's meant for that program. But think of this too, like they only, not only are they Pac-12 players of the year for the men and the women, but I think they are also the favorites to Sabrina is certainly the favorite and is almost a shoe in. But I think, Peyton could also pull off the point guard of the year nationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. they both could win that award as well, which is pretty remarkable. And I, I think Sabrina will, will win national player of the year. She'll probably be the unanimous player of the year. Uh, I agree with you. Peyton probably won't win all of them, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if he maybe gets one of those titles. He's a finalist for the, he's on the ballot for the wooden award. He's a finalist for the Naismith. He's a finalist for the Oscar Robinson, and then, like I said, he's a finalist for the Bob Cousy Point Guard of the Year Award. Uh, and it would surprise me if Peyton was not a first- or second-team All-American. I think there's a better chance that he's a first-team All-American than there is him being a second-team All-American. Uh, but I, I, I really think both guys, uh, both, both players, excuse me, are special, unique, and we won't see someone of their caliber out of Oregon for a very long time. Do you think Pritchard would be, if he played at, like, UConn or, or I don't know, North Carolina or one of those Blue Bloods yeah. back east, do you think he'd be, like, consen- I think he'd be consensus player of the year. I don't think there'd be any question. Yeah, really 
percent. I agree with you. And that's, and you could say that's a slight out of Oregon and maybe it is, but the reality is the conference does not get the same recognition, does not get the same reputation as the ACC, as Big Ten, as the SEC. If Cassius Winston and Peyton Pritchard were swapped, mm-hmm. Peyton, Peyton, Peyton Pritchard at Michigan State would have every single award as the player of the year. Uh, if he was playing at Duke instead of Trey Jones, same thing. Uh, if you put him on Villanova, same thing. You know, he, he would be playing in a, a team just as good as Oregon and having the same chances of a title yet would be racking up all these national player of the year awards just because the, simply this goes back to Larry Scott. We were talking about earlier, the, yeah. the lack of visibility of, of the conference and you know, all, all of these games playing at 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast on the Pac-12 network and hard to find games. You don't know when they're playing and, uh, it, it you know, the, the, just the visibility of the league has significantly dropped off and, you know, it, it's, it's impacting stuff like this. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in your questions. Keep sending them. Keep using the hashtag. Uh, Ots and Audible's hashtag, and we'll keep checking that as well. It's pretty cool to see a couple of people uh, jumping in on that each and every week and it growing a little bit more and more. Uh, so for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Bream, you've been listening to the Ots and Audible's mailbag. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.